You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Can you think of a time when you were outside or in nature where you really noticed that you had this sense of connection? Uh, yeah. I mean, every time I go, uh, every time I am in nature, but the biggest was when I went to, I was like a junior or senior in college and I went to Colorado to go hike by myself Uh and I went out like first day in this beautiful mountain. I mean, it's totally secluded. I was the only one on the trail, massive mountain that I'm going to go hike bigger than anything I've ever hiked before. I mean, still a one day hike, but, um, you know, it was a really big deal for me and, you know, I knew it was going to take me eight, 12 hours, something like that. And I got up almost above the tree line and I can now see the other mountains and see the valley and see maybe that's where my car was somewhere down there, but I can't see yeah. the car anymore. Right. And I just started like crying. Wow. <laughs> I was like, man, this is just so pretty. For me, it was a time we were, we were in Alaska. So you and I were in Alaska. We had finished a, uh, some ice climbing up on the uh, Davison Glacier and we had kayaked across this inlet and drug the kayaks into the, into the woods and then hiked up to the, the foot of this glacier. And we had been there for a few days and we were coming back. So when we come back, we get to the place where our kayaks are and we're going to kayak back across this, this inlet. Uh, over uh, to the other the other side where you know where the car was and everything, and the swells in the bay were just impassable. Yeah, and, and there was you know zero chance we were going to make it across. This, the kayaks would have flipped. The kayaks were absolutely one hundred percent going to flip us into the freezing cold water. And so it was just me and you and and the guide that we had. And so he said, "All right, well let me let me work on preparing you guys for how you write the kayak when you flip because you certainly are, we're going to flip." And I and I said, "Well, how about we use your satellite phone and we call <laughs> somebody with a really big boat to come get us?" Uh, he said, "Yeah, that's probably a good idea." So he he called and he comes back a little bit. And he says, "All right, so I have, I have good news. Somebody can come get us." I said, "Oh, that's that's great news." He said, they can be here in, in about eight hours. And I said, oh no, I mean, that's, that's horrible. You know, that, that seemed like real, that was bad news to me. Yeah. And there was no chance it was going to get dark because we were there during the summer. So it was light all the time. All the time. And so I'm really upset. I'm, I'm kind of pissed at this situation. And I sit there and I'm watching the swells and I start to, to notice that there's whales and, you know, breaching in the bay. And there's eagles landing. And I realized that we were in somebody's screensaver. Yeah. And the beauty of that space was just beyond compare. And I, I hadn't really paid attention to it. And we were stuck on this little beach with nobody around all day. We couldn't move. And I, and I feel like, in a sense, that was purposeful. That was supposed to be what happened that day. And I started to really connect with the beauty that was around me and I had been ignoring it before. Yeah. God puts us in situations, whether they're beautiful, serene, Alaskan mountainside, uh, 
greensaver-esque places or um, places that don't seem pretty, that don't seem fun, uh, but he'll place us in those. And no matter how hard we fight, we're not going to get out until he's ready for us to leave. And they're always there to teach us something. So the only option we have is to be grateful, to praise God, and to be thankful for, for the opportunity to be exactly where he wants us to be at that time. And our guest today, she knows all about that. She knows all about making sure that uh, the living God is above all other gods in our lives. Kelly Minter is a passionate Christian author and speaker celebrated for her inspirational books and profound messages of faith. With her calling to foster spiritual growth in herself and others, she hosts the Cultivate podcast. She's also deeply committed to serving the poor, orphaned, and forgotten through her volunteer work with Justice and Mercy International. She's the author of No Other Gods, which you can buy on Amazon today. We talked um, about some really great topics with Kelly. I think you're going to like this episode. Stick around, learn something, and get a spiritual adjustment. I'm Sanger Smith. As always, I'm with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. Kelly, I'm ready for all of your the questions that you have for us. <laughs> Whenever you're ready. Oh, uh, we're gonna be like, here a little while. <laughs> you've been busy. Like you are you were all over the place going from uh Nashville to uh writing books on devotionals and Yeah, no, it's good. Um I enjoy it. Sometimes it's a little more than I would like it to be and uh, but it's good, right? It's always finding the balance of working in a way that's impacting for the Lord, for others, but then also having time to enjoy and to be with family and all of those kinds of things. And so sometimes that balance works great and sometimes it's not as good. Now, now as you all know, as yeah. everybody knows, right? We It's hard to like get it right. Yeah, I know what you mean. You grew up in uh, Virginia? Yeah, yeah. Right outside of Washington, D.C. So that's my problem right there. You just at D.C., it was fast and busy and crazy and pressed all the time. And so that's, there. I grew up in that environment where everybody was just climbing and it was, it was just a mad race around the beltway. Then I got to Nashville and I was like, wow, everybody's really chill and happy here. What's going on? That, and, that is um, one end of the so, spectrum to the other, I would imagine. Yeah. And now, granted, it was a totally different city 22 years ago when I moved here. I mean, Nashville now is kind of rivaling any other city as far as that is concerned. But yeah, I think that, you know, I don't know that I think that my upbringing in that fast paced, you know, talking about wealth, talking about health, talk, you know, all of it, it, it was the cutting edge of all of it. I think that influenced me quite a bit. What took you to Nashville? Music. So um, I was, you know, nobody else comes here for music. I was one of the only ones. And, uh, <laughs> you had that competitive you, you, sort of a pioneer, you know, you might say, right? Right, right. I know. It's like, who moves to Nashville for music? But yeah, so I had signed a record deal 23 years ago and moved, 24 years ago, moved to Nashville to pursue a career in music, which is a whole story in and of itself. But so what is that that's like? That's how I got here. What, what's, what's life like when you're searching for the record deal? Uh, did you... Did somebody stumble into a bar here and you play and go, oh my gosh, we found the next great talent, Kelly Minter, and 
or, or was this a hustle that you 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 were grinding out for a long time? Uh, yeah, no, well, it both, but it's always a hustle, right? It's always a grind. And so I, I don't think it's any other way ever, but uh, no, I was, I was hitting it really hard, working really hard at it. And I had, you say you're hitting it hard. Like, are uh, you, are you like traveling around the Virginia area playing shows? What was going on? Yeah. Like Virginia, Maryland, you know, DC, that just that, yeah, regionally, and then occasionally would maybe get asked to do a church thing or something. Yeah. Uh, so I was, yeah, just doing every coffee shop, th- you know, every venue I could find to play. And I had done a, a demo recording, and a friend of mine got it into the hands of an A&R at a record label here in Nashville who I actually just saw a couple, two weeks ago, which was really fun because I hadn't seen him in years and years. But he flew up to Maryland at a coffee shop and and heard me perform and felt like he wanted to sign me, but felt like there was more development that needed to take place. And, and so he signed me to kind of like a development deal. And I don't think I actually signed a record deal with him in, for another couple of years. So... You know, it's a slow process. And then you get the development developmental deal. Do you move to Nashville on that or do you move to Nashville on the record deal? Well, you can move anytime you want. Well, sure. I'm saying uh, did you. I'm saying did Kelly. Yeah. I waited. I actually waited until I had the record deal. And and so but I was flying back and forth and I was staying with a, a family here that became dear friends. And I even left a car here. So I was going back and forth a lot. And okay, I'm gonna, kind I'm gonna say that not really. if you if you sign the record deal and then move to Nashville, that's in my in my world of not knowing diddly squat about music, not being a musician. That's more impressive than I went, it. I went to Nashville. Oh, and, and then, then I found my way into right. a deal. It's like no, you got recruited to Nashville. Is what happened. That's actually way cooler. So my wife and I were in a uh, songwriter festival. And we went to this venue one night and they had like eight people that kind of went up on stage and they were all songwriters. And so you don't know any of them. And they're talking about the process and then they start singing their songs. And I, we knew a lot of the songs, but I didn't know who wrote them. They're like, oh, you know, Kenny Chesney recorded this or, you know, Taylor Swift recorded this or you know, whatever. And it was just, but they were talking through the process of, you know, this one guy says, yeah, Darius Rucker, you know, asked me to come write songs with him. And so we were hanging out, you know, just writing songs. Did you have that experience where you're just interacting with these people and were you writing songs or were you mostly just singing, performing or what was your life like then? Oh, gosh, you're making me think back to a time of my life that is way back there. Um, I was writing with different people. I there was one really She's still to this day an incredible country music writer. I was writing with her quite a bit. A woman named Connie Harrington. She's written a lot of big country songs. And I, I wrote with her quite a bit. And then, yeah, a few of the other artists, some um, Christian artists that people may or may not know of today. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was really cool. But it was the absolute quintessential experience of trying to, like, make it, trying to, like, okay, if I can get this deal, if I can be successful like life is going to be great and life is going to matter and I'm going to have all the things that make life worth it. You know, that was kind of the, that was kind of the carrot that was hanging out there. And it, 
was like an eight year process of going from record deal to record deal to record deal. Because what I didn't tell you is that as soon as I moved to Nashville, after I'd signed the record deal, the the guy that signed me got moved out of A&R to another department in the record company. My label got bought and sold by AOL Time Warner and pretty much all of their new artists were dropped. No, and so this so, falls apart. Like <laughs> This falls apart super fast. And um, while, after I'm here, and, you know, then I signed another record deal and then that company went bankrupt and then I signed another record deal and it just, it, it, it was a- You're starting to think it's you, like market. maybe you're just bad luck. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah no, it definitely that- was me. Uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely was me. But it was interesting because I, I, like I said, I saw this, this guy, Bubba Smith, amazing guy that brought me to Nashville. We probably met 25 years ago and I hadn't seen him in forever. And I, I ran into him a couple weeks ago. And he said, he's like, Kelly, I'll never forget meeting you for the first time at that coffee house in Maryland. And I knew right then that we were going to work together. And I knew that God had something special for you. And he said, and I, I I thought it was music. And I was like, well, so did I. I mean, what else would it have been? I mean, you're a record label guy, like, you know, but he's like, now I, all these years later, I realized it it wasn't about, I didn't, I didn't help get you to Nashville for music. It was about for what you're doing now. And I said, oh, a hundred percent. But you know, that part of the chapter didn't unfold until much, much later. Yeah. Yeah, That had to be a a little discouraging or disheartening, you know, where you're, you're saying, well, this is my dream. I thought this was what I was supposed to do. And it's, there are these obvious roadblocks and things that are happening that are telling you, hey, this is not the path that God has for you. This is not the path you're supposed to be on. You're supposed to be doing something else. How did that's yeah. that's got to leave you searching, right? Uh huh. Yeah. It was a it was like an eight year process, and it it's um it, it the thing is is that it's just hard, right? You don't know that it's not what God wants you to do. All you know is that this is just hard, and I don't have any money, and everybody else is having success, and I'm not. And what do I do? And this is, I still love this. I, this is still my passion. I still think I'm good at this, you know? And, and so you just keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying and, and yeah. And it got to the point where then you start feeling like you're losing ground because it's, it's like, okay, well now I'm six or seven years down this road. If I decide this isn't what I want to do, I can't just hop over on a parallel track and be seven years ahead in another career. Right. You know, you're starting from zero. Yeah. So it just, it was a very hard time, but, but what I realized is that the Lord was working out, uh, stuff in my heart that I had, you know, I had, I had made a career in music and the money and the fame and the friendships and all that stuff. I had made that into really, it was this idolatry. It was like, it was like, I didn't functionally, I didn't believe that Jesus was sufficient and that what he had for me was sufficient. You know, functionally, I was putting my hope and my trust in these other things, even though, you know, I was definitely a Christ follower. What were the things that you were doing that made that evident? So as you look back now, you you can think, exactly. hey, these are the, the things that I was thinking, feeling, doing that make it so clear now that I can see it from the other side that I wasn't prioritizing God in my life, that I was making an idol out of this career? Mm-hmm. Well, because I was devastated and I was de- I was so upset and in turmoil and anxious and striving and jealous. And it was like, 
there the fruit of the spirit there of peace, joy, yeah. you know, this walking and surrender. Like like to, like right now, I have a really big project that's that's in the works, and and there's a lot of investment on the line. There's a lot of other people's money. There's a lot of other people's time. There's my time. There's my money, and and uh, it's a ministry thing. But if it doesn't go. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. You know, whereas 20 years ago, if it didn't go, I was going to be devastated, feeling awful about myself, you know, jealous of everybody else who was, ha- you know, it's, so it's like, I'm in this place right now where I'm like, okay, this is hard. I'm having to trust the Lord. But my, where my foundation is in the Lord is so much different than where it was, yeah. you know, all those years ago. Isn't that such a freeing feeling when you can look at something that, in a different part of your life or maybe to other people would be, would be it. It would be their entire life's worth is, work is wrapped up in yeah. the success or failure of this project, this investment, this company, uh, this pursuit. And to be able to trust in God and say, Hey, you know, even if this falls flat, even if this backfires and I get hurt, I get stung, I'm still going to be all right. I'm still going to keep moving. I'm going to be fine. And I've, I've accepted that unknown outcome. It's something that I pray for a lot is the acceptance of whatever the outcome is going to be. I pray that I can accept the success or the failure that comes with this pursuit uh, because that's that's what it means to transfer that worry to God, to give our struggles over to Jesus is to say, even if this doesn't work, I've accepted it. I'm not writhing in it. I'm not wishing it were different. I'm not asking God why. And I think a lot of people who are not, um, it, it, that is really hard to understand for our modern culture that you Kelly could pursue something important to you, but be at peace with the outcome. A lot of times people say that's indifference. That, that means you don't really care. You're not as motivated. How could you not really want this? You, it sounds like you don't want it to work out. It's like, no, I, I do want it to work out. Well, my want is not greater than God's want. And if God wants it to not work out, it's going to not work out. And that's going to be okay with me. Yeah. And it's still like, you know, it's still a struggle like anything. You know, I'm having to temper some of the things that I, I want to do or, you know, because I am a driver and I, I push and I, you know, I want to see things succeed. But yeah, I mean, the Lord's just taught me a lot about my own pride and my own glory and all of those things and it, it and there is just such a joy and a peace and like you said a freedom when we're walking with him in surrender to what he has while also really doing the best that we possibly can and and pursuing success whatever that looks like i think it's about finding a, an appropriate balance between the freedom that you give yourself to adapt and change as you as you're striving towards a plan and being so you know dedicated to something that, that it just crushes you if this plan you thought you were supposed to do didn't work or didn't go to completion. It, it's finding that balance because you, you're right. You say if you if you rotate too far to the side that you were talking about saying where you say, well, you know, I'll just I'll, I'll go easy going, whatever happens, happens. And this is just, you know, my life. Uh, that's going to look undisciplined, right? It's not about a, a lack of discipline. It's I, the people who can't actually turn their fears and their worries and their anxieties to, to God, 
If they can't do that, they will interpret your lack of concern with the outcome or your lack of attachment to the outcome. Rather, it's not that you're not concerned. You're not attached to the outcome. You're not, you don't identify with the outcome. Your self-worth is not determined by the outcome. For people that don't have God in their life, they interpret that as indifferent. It's not that, yeah. I mean, Kelly, you're not going to go approach this just because you've turned over your uh, reservations about the outcome to God. You're not going to approach it, uh, whatever, God's going to take care of it. I don't have to try hard. You're not going to do that. Yeah. It's like you said, your identity, where are you finding your identity and your self-worth and your happiness? And that's a big piece in all of this. Well, how do you think you balance that between finding your identity in something it, that you were devoted to? Um, and, and it's easy to, to ridicule things that are inherently negative. In other words, if you look at somebody who is attaching an identity to a destructive habit, um, you know, and there, there's lots of lots of those we can name versus something that we see as more virtuous. Right. In other words, I'm going to go and I'm going to get into health or, you know, I'm, I'm going to work out a lot or this is a political ideology that I believe in or a social cause that, both- that I feel strongly about. And because you feel strongly about it, coupled with the fact that it is seen as virtuous, it would it would seem that it would be easy to devote a lot of time supplanting God in our lives, having that become uh, our God. Because if there's a void in our lives, we're going to fill it with something, right? We see it all the time with people who sort of make a certain ideology or a certain identity. That's that's what they're all about. And it it pushes everything else more meaningful to the the margins. Listening to that, I was just, my head's kind of going to different parts of scripture and and like you talk about a balance and those things. I, I always go back to that the Lord created us. He gave us work to do, right? Even before the fall in the garden, like we were we were to work, we were to matter, we were to have influence, we were to have impact. So all of that's good to to want to succeed, to want to have success, to want things to work out, to want to matter, to want our lives to matter. I mean, I think that's all part of God's design. It's his intention. Uh, it's it's good that we are seeking those things, but when those become as as Pastor Tim Keller says, when those things become ultimate things, when it's like we're going to be devastated, we're going to die if this doesn't work out, we're going to have no, our life is going to have no meaning, we're going to be depressed, we're going to be angry, we're, you know, then we know, okay, wait a minute, now the success has has supplanted the Lord in my life. Yeah, I, I think that can be a filter for determining whether or not that has inappropriately supplanted God is that if this, you know, I'm putting too much of, of my own evaluation of my self-worth on it. I, I guess, is that what you're saying? Or if you're in total fear, that's another big, okay. to me, like fear is such a sign of idolatry. Like not, and not, we're going to be afraid. I mean, that's a natural thing. We see that over and over and over that human beings are, we're given to fear on some level. But when we're just, when we can't sleep at night because we're playing this thing out and like, oh, what if this doesn't, investment doesn't work out? Or what if this time, or what if I look like an idiot or, you know what I mean? Then that's another kind of indicator that we're not resting in what the Lord has for us. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't think it's a balance. God doesn't say, give me uh, a little bit of your concerns. He doesn't say, give me the majority of their concerns so I can carry most of it and you can carry the rest. He 
He says, right, turn them right. all, turn them all right. over to me. And you have to do that in order to achieve true peace is you have to say, I am 100% detached from this outcome. And to your point, Kelly, will I maybe as a, as a human with flaws, uh, as a sinner, I'm not able to always or even ever completely detach 100%, completely give 100% of my worry. It's a, it's an aim. It's like, I want to be like Christ. I'm never going to be Christ. I'm never going to be perfect, but it's something to aim at. And we have that within our business, right? We're going to, I'm going to set a BHAG. Maybe I can never, ever actually get there, but it's an aim. It's the biggest aim I can think of. No, it is. There's some balance. I mean, if, if no, you're not, you're not, you're missing. Are you it. saying you don't care if you reach your goals? That's not what I said at all. Well, that's, that's not that's what I'm not saying. What I said. No, it's I'm not balance. You've got it's to not have a balance, man. Okay. It, I'm it, not saying it's 50, 50 balance, but there is some component of mattering of, of having some concern about what the goals are that you reach. You can't just go through life saying, well, I don't care. You know, whatever happens. It's happens. not about not care. If, if what you mean by not caring is not pursuing them, for, uh, you know, fervently, then no, I don't say don't care. You should really care. You should yeah. pursue it wholeheartedly. Right. But that's not what I said. I didn't say don't care and don't pursue it. it. I didn't say don't pursue it. I said, don't attach your identity to the outcome. Don't worry about the outcome. Don't focus on the outcome. If you focus on the pursuit, hey, I'm going to do this uh, and I'm going to pursue it 100%. If it blows up, it could blow up due to a number of reasons outside of my control. It could blow up because, uh, you know, if I, I'm trying to build this beautiful, amazing business and we're going to uh, serve the poor and we're going to, you know, we're going to save puppies and we're going to do everything that is good and true in the world and the business still fails. Well, why'd the business fail? It could have it could have failed because of natural disaster. It could have failed because of economic crisis. It could have failed because of things so much bigger than anything that I could have handled. Well, I can't look at it and say, well, this is this is the testament of my faith in God is whether this business succeeds. This is, uh, you know, God's going to bless me with this success because I'm pursuing him relentlessly. No, when I was talking to a friend of mine, a business owner about my own company, and I said, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm, we're trying to achieve these goals and this goal. He goes, why are you nervous about it? I go, I'm not nervous that it's going to happen. He goes, wait, so you're not confident? I go, no, I, I am. I'm, I guess I'm confident, but I'm not like confident that it's going to happen. I'm confident it's a good aim, but I'm not confident that it's going to happen. Well, do you not trust that God will provide for you? I go, I trust that he will provide, but you're totally misinterpreting what it means to provide. God's not necessarily going to mm -hmm. give me a successful business. God, right. God doesn't promise us anything like that. And so right. for us to focus on the right. outcome, that's not, that's not what God calls us to do. I mean, obviously we're going to care about that, that outcome. And even if the outcome is super disappointing. See, that's my problem. I think it's I about, well, listening. no, no. But, <laughs> Kelly no, agrees but with I, me. You're not listening. No, no, Kelly I, agrees with me. I, no, I'm with Sanger on the sense oh, that, no, you're not, you're right, it's not a, it's not balance on like, you know, this like, well, a little bit of trust. I think what it is, it's a, it's a hundred, it's, it's full trust in the Lord, even if there's disappointment. Like, I'm going to be disappointed if this thing that I'm working on doesn't doesn't reach the goals that we have. I'm going to be I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to be bummed out. I'm going to be sad. 
But I'm going to be talking to the Lord about that and I'm going to be giving him my sadness and I'm going to be, and I'm going to, Lord willing, if if that's what happens, you know, trusting him in it, it's sort of like, is it in Hosea, Habakkuk, I think, that says like, okay, even though like there's no grapes on the trees and no olives on the olive branches and stuff, but still I will praise the Lord. So that's yeah. a disappointment on like, we're, di- we're disappointed that, that, that this hasn't borne fruit, but we're still going to praise the Lord. We're not going to just like completely fall apart. When things began to fall apart, what was life like for you when you started to realize, hey, I think I've made this career an idol. I think I've, I've put this above God in my life. How, how did you recognize that you had done that and then begin to change? Yeah, well... <laughs> Like I said, it was like it was a long process and it, it it's still a process in 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 my life. And I can still see when I'm starting to head in those directions. But, uh, you know, again, back to I ha- I lived in a lot of fear. I was jealous of other people who were succeeding in areas that I thought I should be succeeding in. There was a lot of unrest just generally in my life. I didn't necessarily feel that the that I was walking in the confidence of the Lord. I very much wanted what I wanted. Like talk about being married to an outcome. I mean, it was like if if the Lord doesn't give me this outcome, I'm going to be, you know, just really devastated. So there were a lot of markers that were not fruit of the spirit markers. And uh and, and there was discouragement and it wasn't just music career. I mean, that's the thing. That's kind of an easy thing to point to at the time, but but it was a new city. It was financially extremely difficult because the music wasn't going well. I was having to do a lot of side jobs that were super humbling, which in retrospect, those, those were great for me, but it didn't feel great at the time. Um, you know, relationships were tough as you're trying to maneuver. Um, I dealt with, you know, a little bit of depression and some anxiety and stuff. So there was a lot of other things going on that was just, it made it hard. Um, so I, yeah, I knew I was struggling, but I church, uh, you know, there were some great small groups that I was able to get involved in through church. Uh, there were some classes that I took that were really meaningful during that time. There was some counseling that I saw that was really great, uh, just, you know, Christian counselors. And so there was a lot of things that I was doing to, you know, just kind of figure life out. But yeah, it set me down a pursuit. It set me down a path where I realized I don't think that this is the Christian life. And I don't, I don't think this is how it's supposed to be. And so that set me down the path of um, writing my first Bible study called No Other Gods. What was the biggest learning from writing that about like, what, what I, maybe a better question is how can people identify for themselves what you were able to identify in your own life? Yeah. I mean, this is hard when you're in it. Yeah. But I mean, you know, like that's the thing though, you know, if you're like, I am in constant turmoil. I have, I don't have peace in my life. I feel like if this boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't work out, or if this, you know, uh, job doesn't work out, or if this investment doesn't play out, or if I don't get this house, I'm going to be devastated. Um, All of my happiness and my joy comes from what I own or what I can achieve or who I am. Uh, or how much money I have in the bank. I mean, all of those things are telltales of we our our hope and our life is not truly in Christ and in His kingdom. And that sounds so pie in the sky and so, but it's 
that's so practical to be able to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, these are the things I'm working on. These are the things that matter because I believe that they matter to you, but I'm going to trust you and I need your help. And, and, and if things are disappointing, I'm going to, I'm going to try to walk them out the way that your word says. And again, that feels very vague, but when we know the word, you know, then we were able to lean into, oh, I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to respond in a in a kind way, or the Lord tells me not to be jealous. You know, just the other day I saw somebody who does something, does exactly what I do. And, and she had great placement on this really important place. And I thought, man, my first instinct was not like, oh, wow, this is great. The word of God is going out. And yeah. my first for instinct her. was yeah. like, man, why am I not on this? How did I not get up? Like why? And um, immediately that's a telltale of like, ooh, that's jealousy. Or if it's not even jealousy, if it's, if it's like, no, I'm truly happy for her but I feel like I'm behind, then that's still like, okay, well, I, I, I'm not, I, I feel like I've, I've got to do more. I've got to yeah. strive. And so those are all like mirrors. And then I go, oh, wait a minute. That's not what the Lord wants because sure, I know his I, I, word. I, there, there's, a, there's a, I'm going to use that word balance again that Sanger lesson me to use, between having a worthy rival that causes you to compete and do better and be your best self versus letting envy take over. Right. Yeah. That, that causes you to have worse, worse results, right? And pulls right. you away. Or panic. Like, because when yeah. I really dug into it, I'm like, no, I really like her. I want her to succeed. I'm, and I love that she writes great studies. I want this to go. But yeah. I was also feeling like a panic, like, ugh. What types of things are you typically seeing that people put in place of God? You know, when you say no other gods, right. what types of things are filling that void that you saw that were the most destructive? A lot of times, right, when we think of it, we think of like Old Testament idolatry. We think of statues or graven images. And so we go, well, yeah. okay, well, we don't do that today unless, you know, you're a part of a religion that worships, you know, graven images. But for most of us in America, we don't do that. So we think we don't have an idol problem. Well, yeah, we do. Because anything that takes the place of God is is clearly idolatry. But we also tend to think of idolatry as being something that is inherently bad. So we think, oh, pornography could be, uh, you know, an idol or having an affair. That's that could be an um, idolatrous practice or, you know, the drugs or some sort of addiction. But for most of us, it's good things that have become ultimate things that make idolatry idolatry. So it can be those things like money. Well, money's great to have. Building wealth is great. Not when it not when it takes over our relationship with the Lord, not when it is a greater love than our love for the Lord. Um, you know, status, uh, uh, our houses, our homes, our second homes, our friends, where we are socioeconomically, um, whether or not we're single or married, or if we have kids or if we have grandkids, anything, ev- anything can be an idol when it takes the place of um when it becomes the love of our life, the governing force of our life, the motivator of our lives. Yeah, I think there's a lot of political ideologies and even social causes that that creep in yeah. because they they seem yeah. praiseworthy, you know, initially. But there's yes. there's a real vulnerability to take over like that. So whenever something is more important than God, it could even be related to God, right? In the sense of like your career was a Christian singer. So uh, 
most people probably look at that and go, well, of course she wants her career to succeed, but you're looking at it going, oh, no, it was more about my career for the sake of the career for myself and serving me, not serving God. And I saw a video on the internet of a guy who's in probably a similar position to you who said, man, one day I was praying uh, before I was going to play a show. And this is like a worship band, you know, uh, or a, a Christian band, yeah. uh, not like just at a church or something, but like a, a you know, a, a band. Concert. And yeah. And he's, he goes, man, I'm praying, I'm praying in the back. Oh God, use our band. God, just use our band today. And then all of a sudden I have this realization the Holy Spirit says to me, Hey man, what if I want to use other bands? <laughs> and he goes, man, what I was praying for, I wasn't praying for God to use my band. I was really praying that God would use my band a little bit more than the other bands. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, we do that. And I think that's why praying for specific outcomes. Uh, and I say that in the literal sense of asking God directly for an outcome or asking, um, you know, just hoping earnestly for a success is so dangerous because it, it, it starts to sound ungrateful. And I had this experience personally a while back where I'm sitting there just like a lot of business owners going, man, I just feel like I'm not doing enough. We're not growing enough. We're not having the money. We're not having enough clients. We're not getting enough leads. We're not da 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 da. It's not, none of it's enough. And I, I had to stop and look backwards and go, wait a second. I hit all of my goals. Every single goal I ever wrote down, we hit with this company. Why do I feel like it's not enough? And then it occurred to me, instead of saying, well, why, why do I feel like it's not enough? I go, regardless of why I feel like it's not enough, it's so disrespectful for me to think it's not enough. It's so ungrateful. And it's greedy for me to look at God and go, this is all you're giving me? Yeah, come on, dude. Like, I wanted a little bit more. And uh, that that's that's something that when I change my mind on that and go, just like you, Kelly said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be grateful for what I have, whether whether it's more or less than some vague idea of what I think would ultimately make me happy. I gotta get rid of that. I go, wow, what I have is amazing. And if my band plays for one, an audience of one person, shoot, True. man, God gave me an opportunity to, to play for this one person. If this podcast gets listened to by one person, oh man. And you know what? If this podcast gets listened to by zero people, it would still be worthy of praising God because we got to hopefully help each other uh, refine mm-hmm. our own understanding and our own ideas. So there's always something to look back and say, I'm thankful for, I'm grateful for, and to, to worship God for. And if I'm not doing that because I'm focused on what I don't have, man, that's so greedy. Yeah. I, I think too, um, one thing for, uh, you know, it's interesting because you have a, a sitting there, you have the old copy, you have my original copy I got the, of No More God. Yeah. The old, which is like I got this one. It came right? out. I love that. No. <laughs> so it's like, right. Yeah. Uh, but it's like night 18 years old or whatever. And the subtitle on that one is confronting our modern day idols. When I re-released this and, and, and updated it and rewrote it, I changed the subtitle to take the focus off the idols and to put it on Christ. So it's still know their gods, but it's the pursuit, the unrivaled pursuit of Christ, because the difference between my first edition and 
and and most recently is that you know 20 years ago the focus was like oh the music is an idol the people are an idol the money is an idol like all all the stuff but that's not going to get you to where you need to be because that's just going to be like taking away this these things that you really believe are um are worthy what we need is we need to behold Christ and we need to have an encounter with him and and to walk with him and then it's those idols become not so important and i think that's what really changed for me was it was a long process and it still is a process i mean my goodness like i mean this house like all the like there's no telling like where how much of my heart is wrapped up in the things that you know we're human beings right that that it's not necessarily supposed to be but the more I began to experience Christ, the more I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize I lived it all for my investments or for pleasure or for, because I, I love the joy of knowing Christ and what, and what seeing, um, what he does in other people's lives like that. I love that. And, and so, so I think it's important, um, that we focus on the Lord and and when we when we really enjoy him and walk with him, we begin to see like, oh, it's so much better than those other things that are so temporary. So so it's easy to point to those things in our society that that has a lot of materialism and, and we hit we have a lot of wealth in our society. And so there are there are an abundance of opportunities for us to seek out other gods. When you look at Going to some of the, the work you do with with missionary work in the Amazon or Moldova, or, yeah, you know those types of places where their society is so different, and I and I would guess, mm-hmm. particularly in the Amazon, you know, far less materialistic. Do you find that there is that same human nature inherent desire to supplant God with other gods or finding the void and filling it with things uh, like yes. we like we've been describing? Absolutely, I, I mean yes, and so like I was in the Amazon. Uh, well, I'm about to head there in like two weeks, but I was there sometime in the recent past and we were at this jungle pastors conference and there were a few of us on a panel talking about stuff within church and ministry and stuff. And so one of the pastors said, Hey, how do you deal with, uh, you know, jealousy or issues with other churches? It, cause he said, we had a church come and steal 10 of our chickens like the church what? had chickens and some uh, church like came and stole or something. And there was this whole thing or they thought it was their chickens. And, and in our minds, <laughs> it's like, feud. okay, it's this, it, it's chickens, it, but it's the same thing, right? Like we are here in America yeah. and we're like, oh, this church pilfered our worship leader or, you know, or what it's all the same is the human heart is the same everywhere. But I will say things changed for me. My, it was my third record deal that I had signed. And the president of the record company invited me to the Amazon. This was back in 2009. And I thought, oh, man, like I'll go one time just to, you know, be part of this thing and see what what he's got going on there. And then that will probably be it. Well, two years later af- and or several years later, actually, and having now been, gosh, well over 30 times. And working with this whole organization called Justice and Mercy International, I realized that the Lord essentially tricked me to the Amazon through a record deal. And and it's like, here I have this whole ministry that I'm a part of, 
it's not the only thing that I do, but I'm very big part of my ministry. It's completely changed my life. And I realized that had the Lord given me what I wanted, which was all this success and all this fame and to be on all these big stages, I was in the Amazon doing some of the most meaningful work with some of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. And now, of course, he's brought me from music to a a career as a writer and a speaker. Um, So anyway, it's just, it's in, the Lord doesn't waste any of it. And he, he uses all of these experiences um, as he moves us forward. And I think that's something that I, I hope is encouraging for people to hear that no matter where they are, no matter what the failures are or what's not working or the Lord's not going to waste that. Where in the Amazon do you go? How, how remote is this? Where is this? Uh, so we fly into the capital city of the state of Amazonas, which is Manaus. So if you look on oh, a map, there's a you know, state? Uh, oh, like yeah. in Brazil? Uh-huh. Yeah, Brazil has a lot of states. Okay, and, okay. Uh, up kind of toward the north is Amazonas. It's massive. And it's the Amazon, basically. And uh, so, yeah. so Manaus is the city, the major city there. We fly into there. We get on a boat. And then, uh, yeah, we have villages that we minister to all all over the Amazon and in some of the other rivers as well, where you have to take like a small plane to get to, which I've done once. I'll see if they can talk me into another missionary airplane again. <laughs> I don't know. It's a little harrowing, but uh, is it, what is it yeah, like when incredible. you get to these when you get to these places that are that remote? What's it like? Um, you know, it's for me. I mean, I've been doing it uh, for a long time, so it actually has a real uh, air of familiarity for me now. Um, but it what it does for me is it it's like going to the chiropractor. It just spiritually adjusts me, and. And I, re- I realized like all the things I was super upset about, super uptight about, super worried about um, back home, I realized that I'm like, man, these people are just, they're walking in a different way with the Lord where they truly depend on him for everything. And it's so real. It's not just like Christian speak. It's like God meeting their needs in incredible ways. And it's so it's so encouraging. And it's also just a great reminder of uh, use of resources. Like, you know, I can get a new car or, (laughs) you know, I can help in incredible ways there that are just, you know, invest internal investments. That's unbelievable. You know, there's things like that. So it's, it's just, it's changed everything about how I think about my life. Are there other ways that you get that adjustment? Um, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I think being in being in the Word, you know, just especially looking at, I was able to write a devotional on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and man, that section in Matthew six about storing up treasure in heaven and all that. You, you, there's a just being in the Word is adjusting. Um, it is a constant adjustment. Um, I would say, obviously, being you know with other believers in in church community. Um, being around people who are going through difficult things, who are trusting the Lord in the middle of it. Um, you know, yeah, I would say, but I would say missions is a really big one for me that I've had a hard time. Um, it's like the triple crack adjustment. Yeah, it is. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it, exactly. Um, so it has been, it has been really good to be exposed to, to that over and I, over and over. I have found that for me, it was it was getting away from everything that was 
distracting. I've gone on a, several sort of yes. long, long hikes in my life, uh, whether Kilimanjaro, the PCT, Camino in Spain, or you know whatever. And and it takes a while. It, it takes you know about for me about a week. And then yep. after that, I've I've sort of become this person who's stripped away everything. And yes. I found kind of like what you were talking about, saying where you where you rely on God. There are there are a group of people who hike the Camino in in Spain, which is is a uh, pilgrimage trail that ends up in in Santiago, Spain, and goes across uh, many parts of Spain, but but just miles and miles. And what they will do is just start on this trail with the end in mind to go to Santiago, and it might be that might be five hundred miles away. And they just start walking and they don't know where they're going to stop to rest. They don't know where they're going to get their food. They don't know where they're going to get their water. And it's a way sort of contrary to how I've lived my life and the profession that I chose, which is planning, right? Figuring things out, right? Making the plans and doing the plans. And this was so foreign. So I would come across these people and say, oh, you know, where are you staying tonight? They're like, I don't know. You know, well, how far are you going? we'll, We'll see, you know, what happens. And it was so, it, it was really enlightening to me. And and that whole journey was about exactly what you're describing, Kelly. It's just sort of letting that happen and not putting other things in front and trusting that that there will be a providing avenue wherever yes. they come. Yes. Yes. Which that's how so much of the world lives that, that you know, so many Christians live other places is that day to day um and yeah it's a it's a different thing i I would think that the the people that you come across in the amazon are are in that sort of mindset more often than what we have the privilege to be in our society because of the amount of things we're provided the amount of opportunity we have and uh options that we have and when you don't have that, when you're in somewhere like, you know, the Amazon, it really is in a way a blessing, I would think, in that you are living a life that requires a a higher degree of faith than what we could probably imagine. A hundred percent it does. But as a result, there there's a lot of peace and a lot of joy. And yeah. I remember asking this one pastor, Pastor Cosme, and I said, he was talking about food and how sometimes it's really hard to get food depending on the level yeah. of the water and stuff. And I said, pastor, I was like, how do you, what do you do about food? And, uh, and I'll never forget it. He, he looked at me and he went and he just pointed up and then he looked back <laughs> at me like, what, what, what do you mean? Like we, uh, the Lord provides, like we just, he's gonna, he provides. And, you yeah. know, back to Matthew six, where, Jesus says, look, the birds of the air, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store in barns, and yet your heavenly father takes care of them. And to me, this, the sowing and the reaping and the storing, that's what we're pros at in America, right? We we get a good college education and sow, we we work hard and we reap, and then we we invest wisely and we put it in barns. And, and, and so Jesus is saying the birds don't have that capacity, not that it's bad to plan, not that it's bad to store, but they don't have right. that capacity. <laughs> and yet still your heavenly father meets their needs. And so that's, um, yeah, very countercultural to kind of how we live. And I still like, I plan, I invest, I save uh, all of those things, 
But ultimately, you know, that's not that's not where my hope is. It, it is it is a good thing to plan for the future and to to have a future that you imagine. I'm not advocating that you don't, but there's something that we we should learn about being living day to day, about focusing mm-hmm. on the intentional intentional yeah. aspects of survival that are, are in front of us. And there's a lot of evidence that shows when we spend time in nature for up to two weeks or more, or for, excuse me, for two weeks or more, that our stress levels permanently decrease, like our baseline stress level yeah. permanently decrease. So that's a lifetime impact. Now, that's not like going to um, Denver and like going for a hike most afternoons for two weeks and saying like you're out in the middle of the Amazon and there's not a building or a car with an engine that you see for two weeks. That's the type of in nature that we're talking about. And Uh it has a massive impact. The immediate impact in reduced stress is massive, but the increase over the time that we return back to, you know, quote unquote normal civilization never reaches back up to that baseline that we were at before. And that's Mm. so powerful. And it's, I think when I think of like, how, how is that the case? Why is that possible? God reveals himself to us in two ways. One is through the written word and two is through his creation. So spending time in nature is an act of, of worship in and of itself. Uh, Spending time in nature is getting to know God. It is spend, it is, seeing God to see what he's created. And so mm. when we do that, that's why, that's what, when it started to make so much sense to me that of course, when I go spend time in the mountains or on the beach and I'm really, I'm in nature, I'm not just like around a pretty place, but I'm in nature. I'm allowing God to reveal himself to me and I'm doing it for two weeks. Well, of course I'm going to be less stressed out, you know? Yes. <laughs> oh, I, yes, I try, when I do that, I try and, because uh, I read something somewhere and I don't have all the details on it, so I can't remember exactly, but I try and touch the ground. In other words, just be on the ground. You don't realize how, like no, right now we're yeah, not on the ground. Yeah. We're in this yeah. building and, you know, we're- We're not even foundation. on the ground floor. No, no, we're yeah. not. Yeah. But just being on the ground and, and connecting, there's a term yeah. in Japan, I, I think they call it forest bathing. Yeah. I think where they go through the forest and the trees kind of, that you know, they say, uh, release some chemical that connect with you. And hmm. there was a study- uh, I was in Africa and this guy was talking about how the giraffe would go up to these grove of trees. And he goes, you notice how the giraffes eat on the windward side of the grove of trees. In other words, they'll get to where the front of the the grove touches the wind rather than at the end where the wind has gone through the trees. He goes, you know why they do that? Because when they start eating the trees, the trees communicate with each other. And the wind carries right. this communication and releases a toxin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they'll they'll eat from the trees and release the that, and so the trees yell at each other, say, "Hey, you know, there's giraffes eating us. You know, release the toxins." Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's a lot more that we nice. don't understand about nature, but it's uh, it's amazing to be out love there. It. And I imagine you get to do it mm-hmm. on the Amazon. Oh yeah, it's I love it. I love yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. It's very restful. So, Kelly, very the, cool. the what would you say would be your final decision-making tip for business owners based on what we've talked about? I would say, man, I don't even know that that I have a, a process as far as like, is this a good decision or is this a bad decision? I 
I mean, obviously, we know if something is out of line with God's word, it's a bad decision. But assuming that we know that we have five things that we can go in any direction and they're all in line with God's will, um, my what I try to do is just have my heart be in the right place and be in the right posture and say, okay, Lord, I have these options. They're all good options. I don't really know which one is the right one. I want to do what glorifies you. And I'm going to move forward in that, in the one that I think is the best that's going to do that. Stop me if I'm in the wrong place. Otherwise, I'm just trusting you. I mean, I think there's freedom there. And I I don't think there's always just one option. But it's, I'm more, instead of looking so much at the decision, I look at, Lord, am I in the right place with you? And if I am, I'm going to, I'm going to move forward. Yeah. Thanks for being here, Kelly. Where can people connect with you and the work that you're doing? Well, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. So those are kind of the two places. And then my website is kellyminter.com. And then the organization that I work with is justiceandmercy.org. So thanks, Kelly. Thanks for being here. Thank you all so much for having me. My takeaway from talking with Kelly is around looking at the real risk that we face if we're not attuned to it that things that are otherwise seem praiseworthy, you know, such as whether it's volunteerism or social issues or political ideologies or whatever it is, run a real risk of supplanting God if we don't make sure that we leave God the biggest space in our lives to to direct our, our lives and our decisions, that there can be risks that these other things sneak in and become the the real focus where they shouldn't be. My takeaway was when Kelly talked about getting a spiritual adjustment by going to the Amazon and she used the comparison of going to the chiropractor to adjust her back. Just as we have the pursuit of goals with our fitness and our health, we have these, these big pushes. Um, we also have maintenance days and we have rehab days and we have adjustment days and we should have that with our spiritual life is it should be a constant pursuit. I should be working out and improving, but every now and then I need a rehab. I need an adjustment. I need something else. Just like I need that with my physical body. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of decidedly make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes not personalized advice.